listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, when we left our conversation with Maria Bolden, one of the things that we leaned into late in that dialogue was this idea of how do you drive decision confidence? And we are blessed today to have a guest here to talk really about that. In fact, we're going to talk about helping clients navigate a complex purchase. So Joe is is a friend of both of ours, but I'll, I'll let you maybe do the first introduction and then Joe can take it from there. So why don't you introduce us to Joe Rice? Very well. Hi, Joe. Hello. It's great to be here. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> I love that. After we did the Maria Bolden interview, I had to send a link to, to Joe, even though I knew he would listen to it because he is a listener. I felt it was so consistent with his experience. I had to get it to him. And when I sent it to him, you sent me a text back, you were driving and I think you were only 10 minutes in and you're like, whoa, this is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's right. I thought that was really cool. Joe is, in spirit of full disclosure, a Prudent Pedal client. Let me pause um, you there for a second. So I don't want listeners to tune out and think that Joe makes poor judgment because he, he has great judgment despite that fact. So keep going. <laughs> he, he, he does have very good judgment. He is a very sharp, young entrepreneur, and you'll get that quite clearly as we begin to talk through what we're going to talk through today. But I'll let Joe introduce himself. I brought him on because he is such a sharp guy and the company that he runs, CXponent, is built, is specifically built its business model to address the issue of enabling buyers to buy complex purchases. So, Joe, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, this is Joe Rice, CEO and founder of CXponent. We're a technology sourcing and implementation advisory firm. And our core focus is on packaged software, infrastructure, and managed services kind of all around the communication layer of the technology stack. So our buyers are often IT leaders or customer experience or operations leaders, you know, purchasing technology that should drive big business benefits. And uh, this is my second time being an entrepreneur and also the second time being a client of Prudent Pedal. So that <laughs> Jeff is actually very instrumental in, in kind of building our the CXponent's foundational marketing strategy and messaging that was actually very much uh, wrapped around Maria Bolden's perspective on, on kind of the gaps between buyers and sellers and, and kind of the opportunity to fill those gaps. How much did you pay him to, to plug that? Listen to that. <laughs> Not a bunch of baloney. All right, keep going. Not enough. I'm going back for more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where do we want to start? So, so I think we, we talked about this notion of, of building consensus and validation as, as sort of the starting point. But we've also heard a lot. The cool thing about that, Killbox, sales killbox episodes, we've actually got a ton of feedback back from people on that. We've both heard from a lot of people kind of like chiming in on, on what they learned from that or what they took away. So so where, where do you want to start us off here, Jeff? Well, I want to talk about what resonated so sharply with Joe when he heard just that first 10 minutes with Maria. What jumped out at you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just this idea that validation and, and consensus, you know, when you talk about the internal process of what clients need to go through to build that confidence, you know, and kind of confidence, I think is a, a measure of both of those things is that it's it's actually, it's quite a, quite a bit of work and effort 
to not only do the external education and research on which are the right vendors for my business, you know, what are my requirements? How do I map those against the vendors in the market? And, you know, I think that's a that's an issue that's going to continue to get more and more complex as software vendors and VC-backed and PE-backed firms continue to invest in new tools that are entire business strategies are really around bundling and unbundling products and features to kind of find resonate with different different value drivers for, for, for different clients. So that itself is really difficult on the external side. When you bring that internally to build consensus, and you know, in our uh, scenario, IT is, if they're the lead buyer, they've got to work with finance, procurement, security, compliance, the business unit leader, if, if the business is, is going to be the end user of the software, all to kind of align on you know what the important principles of the project are. And there's a bunch of different layers to, to building that. But I, I think just the idea that these are really complicated research endeavors, much less decisions to make to go build validation and consensus. And because, you know, with the kind of push towards remote education, it makes sense to me that clients are maybe retreating more into digital research, yet not making as much progress as they expected. And you know, I think it's difficult to create context and understand the trade-offs while reading white papers and content, as opposed to having someone who really <laughs> understands your business. <laughs> you know, the two things that jumped out to me, which I thought was really interesting, is you just you, you just strung together like five things. You said IT, finance, security, compliance, business units. But then you you leaned in and said, well, these are complicated research endeavors, which I love because you basically you're acknowledging that just getting that group of people to research a topic and a problem and come to agreement on what the research means before actually making any business decision is almost a monumental task in and of itself. So I'd, I'd actually love to hear you to kind of like just lean into that a little bit more about what you're seeing from the, yeah. the, the companies you work with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, the areas which are easiest to, to drive agreement and consensus on, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, but, you know, I kind of think there are like four or five layers of it. One is getting alignment on, on the business drivers. You know, when you think about that broad group of buying through consensus or, or different business leaders, the business drivers that are relevant in a technology purchase are often overlapping. And I think you can find common ground when you look at, you know, cost reduction or business differentiation through customer experience or revenue generation. But it's not always really clearly apparent when someone in that individual business unit has got, you know, kind of more tactical pain that they're trying to solve through a purchase. And so business drivers is one of those that I, I think is probably the easiest way to gain alignment and consensus when you take can take a step back. But it's it's often difficult to start with first principles while people are in their full-time day jobs <laughs> and trying to balance external research with with what matters internally. The other is kind of economic impact. That's, yeah, you know, from finance, they really care about kind of the hard TCO comparison, but there are a lot of other soft and operational benefits of, of moving into cloud or managed services. And so things like, you know, labor efficiency, or just generally being out of the business of managing on-premise hardware or infrastructure, at least what we do, can, can bring some pretty large soft benefits as well. And kind of ironing those out uh, to get people aligned is, is one of those, the, the finances area that can be pretty truthful, doesn't have to be filled with emotion, <laughs> and you know can kind of be a source of truth for shared truths there. The other two are kind of change management and operating model, which is really around like, what's the level of effort, communication, training and adoption required post-purchase for this to work and align those expectations. And then after we implement, 
and we're in an operating state, what is this going to look like? We're going to have to make some operational changes to take advantage of this technology, which should be assumed. But what is that going to look like? Where do budgets fall? What does the support model and how do we get continuous improvement out of that? And wrapped in all of those touch these different uh, business units, wrapped around all that is kind of perception of risk. And so that's, I think, the risk of actual purchase itself. So things like security, business disruption, the level of effort or resources, you know, being applied to that. But then there's also kind of the the risk of status quo and, and what happens if we don't move. And so you think about all those different layers from planning to selection to operating, it oftentimes could be 9, 12, 18 months, depending on the size and complexity of the project. And so, you know, taking the time to zoom out, I think can sometimes be difficult while you're also trying to research and have the confidence to set those expectations internally, whoever that lead project sponsor is. In all this time, I just thought it was about price. (laughs) (laughs) Price can be a very easy default when when it's confusing to find common ground or clarity on these other areas. And that's often what we see. Now, I kind of think RFP is often a crutch for neutrality or just find the lowest cost because actually finding common ground and the shared truths along these other areas is difficult. And everyone can agree that, well, that maybe not everyone, but often it's easier to agree that cost reduction or the lowest cost is is a it's a simple way to do that. I think that's changing, but you know, I, I still think there's a lot of a lot of mindset uh, built that way. Yeah, it's interesting, Jeff. I was just thinking about the conversation with Cal Harrison about that. How it's like even in public works environments, you're, you're seeing more conversations about beyond cost. I even think about this is really random, but like thinking about like my own my own little world that I live in in Columbus, Ohio, in this suburb of Columbus where we live. We always went through this, you know, half a billion dollar investment in schools. They had all the schools were beyond their their stated you know use case, and they had, had to re- rebuild all of them or reinvent all of them. And the conversation in the community, everyone was angry because it was like, why did it get so bad? Why did it take so long? Because they hadn't really funded the operating, right? They hadn't like funded like the long tail of, of these things, you know, fifty years ago. I think so. so I do think anyway, my point in telling that story is like, it just seems like that's going on in business as well. It's like, well, time out. Like this sounds like a great solution guys, but what happens when it's at scale? How do we operate it? How do we actually run it once you leave (laughs) Mr. or Mrs. Consultant or or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, often what will happen is, you know, for a a big project like this or, you know, big software implementations that's expensive, it may have gone through a few budgeting cycles where it just wasn't the right time or priority. And when there is that window to go get alignment and momentum towards a purchase, that can be great when everyone's aligned and there's more confidence that this is the right thing to do. But it also can create kind of a narrow worldview and urgency around we've got to purchase by this date because we have to implement by this date. And I think it's difficult to get back to, you know, kind of first principles of is there really alignment across these stakeholders, you know, for ultimately these decisions, you know, the implementation might take 18 months. You know, it should be like eight to 10 year relationships, likely in the the software vendors that they're choosing. And, you know, I think that's it's just a frame of reference that people are looking to negotiate their first contract, <laughs> and you know, which is often two or three years. And, and, you know, there's some good positives to get the momentum when you have it, but also can create a, more, a little more narrow of a worldview on, on how you're solving the, the problems. So, Joe... Help our listeners understand how you identify that moment in time 
when that window is open and that momentum is being driven. So that's number one. Number two, how do you not screw that up? Well, you know, I think when it comes to identifying when that window's open, you know, even though there are, like I said in this case, maybe call it eight to 10 stakeholders engaged, there are still one to two primary stakeholders that are kind of the champions or the people kind of creating momentum on that. And it does come down, I think, to, to building relationship and trust with those folks. And so, you know, in terms of spotting that window, I think it can be really difficult without trust <laughs> because, you know, there there is a little bit of this kind of chicken or egg that I think Maria kind of referenced is like when a client doesn't have confidence or this validation they want to dip their toe in the water and have kind of, she called it about smaller deals, but really for a client, that kind of means smaller projects and smaller outcomes, most likely. And and so when that happens, I think there's also j- just generally a, a, a lack of vulnerability or openness on where clients really need help. And sometimes that can be about internal alignment. Sometimes that can just be around education and, and confidence there. So it's really about building trust with those folks. And when you think about it from a client's perspective, bringing in a third party or a sales person into an already complex buying decision with probably unknown internal cultural friction or personalities or egos that can happen within organizations it is is actually pretty it is it can be really risky and so i don't think that should be understated it, it just really it really is all of, you know the people who are championing these projects have risk in their careers and the trajectory of their reputations at these firms so building trust should take time in a lot of cases so yeah that's you know i think one of one of the areas to just understand is that you know, there's a lot of other client side responsibilities Abilities, hard and soft besides just purchasing a piece of technology or purchasing a you know professional services engagement. I'm curious to talk about breaking down that risk. You know, like you know, like I think that's important, right? Is like is that and we came into this talking about you no know, helping the client navigate this complex purchase, and then and then you led us into this discussion about alignment and agreement. But then you just raised this kind of like big thing, which is like, oh, but but high stakes engagement, a complicated problem, a large scale investment. There's a lot of risk here. So what are some of the things that, you know, sellers, I guess, should be doing to, to help kind of de-risk that a little bit for the client to bring them in? So yeah, yeah, I'm comfortable with you coming into this conversation with us about getting alignment and agreement. Because I think that's part of it. It's like, I'm not going to trust you to come and have, help me build alignment and agreement if I don't trust you in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Maria painted a very good picture that that is really increasingly very, very difficult, (laughs) very difficult to do in a world where there are hundreds of vendors spewing content and sales messages and pitches. And so, you know, I'm not sure that I've got a a silver bullet for that. Silver bullet answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is ultimately, I I think one of the, yeah, it's just, it's a very difficult hill to climb in terms of building that trust quickly. I, I would say though, that I think just demonstrating and asking questions that are client focused and demonstrating you understand these risks, right? Of, you know, like economic impact, change management, operating model, what the risk factors are from there, and then kind of how that aligns to the business drivers are often, especially if a client's already feels like they've got momentum and they're just wanting to buy something. From a sales rep's perspective, it's often, you know, they're hesitant to like slow down (laughs) and get the client to back up, right? And so, but I think that it is a pretty good way to demonstrate trust because you know the reality is there's just a lot of other things on their plate and demonstrating you understand there's broader context for clients is, is at least that's our what our approach is to you know to building trust you're listening to rattle and pedal divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm 
Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. You know, one of the things that I love about Joe and Joe's business model and, and what he's taught me about selling and really understanding a client in his world, which is probably the most complex of the complex sales, I think that I've, I've ever seen where he's bringing together, I don't know, I won't say hundreds, but tens of different vendors together. And each choice that one of his buyers makes in moving to one of these cloud technologies impacts additional decisions because so many of these technologies have interdependencies and those interdependencies have ramifications. And one of the things that Joe knows so well and shares, getting back to his point about how you build trust and demonstrating an understanding of the client situation And I think this bears out in what Maria talked about as well by saying you should understand if you choose X, A, B, and C could happen. And that's another decision point. And if you choose A or B or C, then D, E, F, H, I, J, and K happen. And that's what's missing in content marketing in that, that trying to answer all the questions, you just simply can't because there's too many permutations. Yes. But as a seller, that's your job to understand how the permutations impact the client's ultimate decision and success with that decision. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think this kind of reminds me another kind of framework that's helped build my worldview on this, on how sales can add value throughout the process is the jobs to be done framework. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was built by Clay Christensen and Bob Mesta has really applied it to sales in a lot of different ways. And it's all about this, you know, kind of understanding of every client's got constraints, they've got obstacles and fears and aspirations and generally speaking, they all do want to make progress. <laughs> and so, you know, these things are big business value projects mo- in, in most cases. And so, you know, I, I guess that at one, I would say that I think it's a good resource to think through how can we add value and be aligned with client interests. But, you know, t- two, if you understand the client's fears, aspirations, and constraints, it is a lot easier to guide what the avoiding risks documenting them and putting them there out in the open, but also you know, just being clear on what the context of those decisions are. I do think though, you know, as a sales rep at a SaaS firm, which is who we kind of help clients guide is help purchase those sales reps at SaaS firms. It is really difficult to actually know all of <laughs> what's going on beyond your own product, right? Because just because these products themselves are really complicated. And there's a lot of advocacy internally to get, you know, the things that clients need it in, in that way. And so, you know, certainly where we feel there's there's certainly an opportunity to help clients, you know, guide through that as as kind of a third party. I want before we run out of time, I actually want to go back to the thread on alignment. And I and I want to ask you, like, what does misalignment look like? You know, so when you're a seller and you're walking into an environment where you can tell that there is not alignment between what is that, you know, where are they frequently not aligned and, and, and how do you gauge that and help them overcome that? 
Yeah, I, I think one is, yeah, and this can be a little tricky, but is like just collaborating with your client on who the buying committee is, right? And this is, yeah. you know, from a sales perspective, things like Medic or Miller Hyman Blue Sheets often tried to map these things out, right? Who are the economic buyers? Who are the the business users? What is the, you know, what are the kind of criterias for for purchase? And I think if clients don't know that, that that is often one of those those things that is a pretty r- a red flag, at least in their ability yeah. to continue to make progress. Now, on the flip side, you know, back to this point on trust, sometimes clients don't want to share that. Now, I, I would argue that I, th- I think that's ham- that hamstrings clients' ability to get value out of the the vendors they're evaluating <laughs> and doing, you know, yeah. intending to do business with. But I think that's one that if a client's hesitant to share who else is involved, it means they either don't have alignment or there's not great alignment because back to this idea of risk of inserting a salesperson or a third party into this. If it's not clean, then they probably want to shield you from it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that also could just mean that they don't trust you because, you know, as as a sales rep, you're not listening. So that that's that is one of those areas that I think is pretty key to to you know notice and be aware of, you know, because everyone should have some sort of outside interest outside of the business unit on on alignment. So not sharing, not knowing decision makers, you know, is is a telltale sign that maybe there's. A lack of alignment. Is there other other things that jump out to you that you, that you see frequently? Well, or places I, I, where alignment is, is is either difficult or, or or rarely exists when you walk into an organization. I, I think getting alignment on like the financial importance, right? On is this cost reduction or what's the budget and what do we need to get this done is is often on the easier side. I think on the kind of core business value drivers that often get pushed down, you know, things like moving into a managed service model or creating a differentiated customer experience. That type of stuff is on the easier side. I think when it comes to, well, so what we talked about earlier, like looking beyond the purchase itself and talking yeah. about change management and the operating model. And, you know, often there are different stakeholders after a purchase that are actually involved in delivering and operating the, these tools. And so, you know, I think one of the things we, often recommend is bring those stakeholders in to be a part of these discussions when setting requirements because they're going to come up they're going to find blind spots or come up with a perspective that is that is likely to shape requirements or kind of the importance of of what gets deployed and i think that's that is one of those areas that you know is an opportunity for sellers to add uh, as a part of their you know discussions to to kind of create further alignment yeah. but i think those are the areas that are a lot more difficult because yeah, it's just can be perceived as more cooks in the kitchen, you know, early on and ultimately kind of narrowing the range of outcomes across these different layers is really important. Yeah, I don't know how many times, Jeff, in my life, I have seen our clients where their clients, the person that bought and the person they work with on a day-to-day basis are totally different people with totally different goals. And when you try to talk to them about why they did what they did or how they did what they did you know, to, to inform your marketing process, nobody has any answers because they never talked at any point in time during the sales process. So they, the person that's like actively engaged in the business relationship was not involved whatsoever in the purchase process. And the person that did the buy isn't involved post-buy whatsoever. So it ends up creating this massive disconnect. So it's like, I wonder, Jeff, I feel like Joe kind of just like led us into this like really kind of ripe space around maybe the biggest part of misalignment is between the people that that buy and the people that exist in the in the post buy reality. 
And maybe that's where sellers could put a lot of energy is like help clients make better decisions there because that's a space they're not even thinking about. They're not even talking about it, you know? Yep. We're close on time. We should probably take us to wrap here. So so before we go, I guess, Jeff, do you have a, I do this a lot. Do you have a burning question that you really want to ask Joe or Joe, is there something that we didn't cover that you're like, My, guys, you missed the mark. We got to talk about this. So what, what did we miss? Joe? Yes. Are you a Michigan or Ohio State fan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would lean lean Michigan, but I went to University of Illinois in Champaign, so my football rooting interest doesn't necessarily always lie there based on on performance. <laughs> I choose Wisconsin uh, if there is another you know a good big Big Ten football team <laughs> option. I'm uh, we'll, done, Jason. We'll forgive you for your mis- misfortune and poor poor decision making there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a gang out on Jason Day. <laughs> I didn't right? You know, I mean, we really didn't rehearse that. We didn't. It only comes around every ten years, so that's fine. <laughs> and 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 I can say, and and Joe's clients would attest to this. He is a man of integrity. <laughs> I don't doubt that he is. All right. On that weird ending note. <laughs> i am going to take us to wrap joe thanks for joining us definitely you know an important topic and i'm glad we spent some time talking about how to help firms navigate through what i mean as we've said has become way harder like you know more cooks in the kitchen trying to make a decision (laughs) so it doesn't make anyone's life easier so i appreciate yeah and i would say the the bottom line here is you have to take yourself and your ego out of the sales equation and do what's best for the client, right? Understand them better, enable them better. And as Joe said, ask much better questions. Well, I also a lump on that. I think, I think Joe threw out the notion of first principles thinking a couple of times. Right. And I think that's like a great place to start is like, you know, just if you throw away your expert mind and walk in with your open mind into every client conversation, you're going to be a heck of a lot better off. So yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, just in terms of like recommendations or easy next steps for clients or, you know, sales folks selling to them is really about like, can you find one of these primary groups, a buying committee, try to find at least the two most important people or two people that can agree (laughs) on alignment (laughs) to get some momentum. And, and then, and also start those conversations with the skeptics or the people where, you know, there may be a perception they're harder to deal with early on to just understand their concerns and requirements. So when you do kind of come back with project plan and expectations, I I think really the key here is about setting appropriate expectations on what's going to happen. Right. And trying to narrow those range of outcomes and the risk or uncertainty, you know, that's related with that. And the earlier you can kind of document those basic principles or kind of shared truths, you know, certainly it's easier to defend progress or, you know, post-purchase, yeah. why we even did this, right? Or, you know, what, what the, yeah. especially when there are different stakeholders. Which we inevitably lose sight of, right? Like it's like 12 months in, like, why, why do we, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. All right. Cool. I often say that to myself about this podcast. <laughs> you better not say that. Joe, great to have you on. Jeff, I'll talk to you next week and happy holidays. Thank you. Thanks for coming, Joe. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.